Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we ask you now that you'd sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. All for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives with you and who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. Amen. My name is Nick Roark. I'm going to get to know you all, I imagine, over the the course of these next 24 hours. Uh, I just want you to know at the outset, I'm delighted to be here. I'm so excited to spend some time with you and to open God's Word with you. Um, Let me just start by just saying this. We, every single one of us in this room, are measuring creatures. We're measuring creatures. Uh, All day long, every single day, you quantify creation. What do I mean by that? Um, You you do that, you quantify all the things around you in order to have a sense of control, okay? So for example, you check your watch. Anybody have an Apple watch? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. It's okay. Raise them high. You can't hide money. Okay, great. You you, you check your Apple watch because you want to know how much time you have till your next class. You check uh, on the way here. I I got notified on my phone that there was a speed trap. I looked at my dashboard to see how fast I'm going because I want to measure my my speed. Um, You open your bank app on your phone to see if you have enough money to get that hungry meal at Slim's, right? Not, not, not the cheap, like two chicken finger, the hungry meal. We don't just qualify or quantify creation. We also take measure of other creatures. You take measure of other creatures all the time. So for example, some of you, maybe all of us, if we're honest, we play comparison games, don't we? When you meet someone or you're, you start a class or you start a job, you start comparing yourself with other people. So you say things like this, am I as good looking as he is? Am I as successful as she is? Is she smarter than I am? Do I have as many followers on social media as he does? Is my football team as good as the Tennessee Volunteers? We we all ask very similar, come on y'all, seriously. Preachers do this. Preachers say they don't even know I'm a Tennessee fan. This will come out tomorrow. Keep going. Uh, Preachers do this. When preachers get together, they say things like, first question, how many people are at your church? They're, They're trying to quantify. And we do that all the time. Now, listen, here's my point. We are measuring creatures because we are measurable creatures. We are measuring creatures because we are measurable creatures. But here's the thing, God is not like us. God is not like us. You and I are finite, but God is infinite. We can be measured because we're finite, but God is unmeasurable. He cannot be measured. He is beyond all means of measuring. And the the passage that I want us to see this in is Isaiah chapter 40. Open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. And as you do there, I just want to just think about this for a minute. What does it mean for God to be infinite? And what does it mean for us to be finite? Well, think about this. On the first day of my life outside the womb in this world, January 20th, 1979. I'm really old. January 20th, 1979. A doctor delivered me 
in a hospital right outside Washington, D.C., and wrote down on my birth certificate, seven pounds, eight ounces, 23 inches long. I was measured precisely my first day out of the womb, and that was the first legally attested evidence that I'm not God. Because God cannot be measured. He's beyond all measuring because He's infinite. He's limitless. He's unquantifiable. He's uncontainable. He's utterly without all limitations. You can never take the full measure of God as hard as you try because He's infinite. And that's what we find in Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't know the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, um, what Isaiah is doing is he's comparing the everlasting creator of the ends of the earth, the Lord God of Israel, the one who made the heavens and the earth. He's comparing that God, the true and living God, over and against idols that are made by human hands. And he's going to compare and contrast idols throughout this chapter with the true God. And what he does in the section we're going to look at, just in verses 12 to 17, what we're going to look at in those verses is, Isaiah wants us to see that the God that we worship is infinite. He's infinite. None can compare with him. And before we look at the text, I'm going to just give you a few categories for this weekend because I'm going to be using big words. You all are very smart. I'm going to give you some big words so that you understand about what we're going to be talking about the next, uh, I guess, couple hours. There are attributes of God. How many of you have ever heard of an attribute of God? Right, what are some of the attributes of God? Just call them out. Omniscient. He's omniscient. What else? Sovereign. He's sovereign. Okay, we'll keep going. He, a sadie, yes. What else? He's of himself. That's right. He has all life in himself. John 5. What else? Omnipotent. He's omni, yeah, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. What else? Immutable. He's immutable. Holy. He's holy. Yeah. We could list out a whole bunch of them. And if you wanted to put all of God's attributes, you could really put them in two buckets. There are attributes that are called communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. Now, let me just explain that. The CDC is, is the Center of Disease Control. They, they study communicable diseases, right? That is diseases that transfer from one human to another, being, another person, right? So a communicable attribute is some attribute of God that he shares or transmits to his creatures. For example, you all didn't mention this, God is love, right? So he, he is love and he calls us, his creatures, to be loving. He's merciful, he calls us to be merciful, right? He's holy, he calls us to be holy. Those are communicable attributes. We're familiar with those. However, there are other kinds of attributes that are called incommunicable attributes. These are attributes about God that he does not and cannot share with us. These are, these are attributes or characteristics about who God is that is only true of God. And that's what we're going to look at in these next three sessions. Tonight, we're going to have two and then one in the morning. And, and, and what we're going to see is that these incommunicable attributes, these things that are only true of God, it's actually really good news for us that God is not like us. That's where we're going. Okay. Let's look at Isaiah 40, all right? Look at Isaiah 40. 
I wanna start <laughs> by, by just helping us understand infinite, okay? Let's start by, by, by look right here in, uh, in your notes or in your, in your Bibles in verse 12, okay? Look at chapter 40, verse one. What are the first words in Isaiah 40, verse one? Comfort. Yeah, do you see that? Comfort, comfort my people. Everything else in Isaiah 40 is intended to bring comfort to God's people. So whatever truth we find here is intended to bring encouragement and comfort for a people who are suffering, right? And what, what we're gonna see is that God's infinitude, his infinity is actually an attribute that you could apply to every one of his attributes. He has all of his attributes in an infinite way. So one writer put it this way, God embraces every degree of every perfection without any limitation. That's what it means for God to be infinite, okay? So let me read the passage beginning in verse 12. In verse nine, Isaiah says, behold your God. Well, now we're gonna behold our God. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who's measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Here's the whole point of the message tonight in one sentence. So if you're a note taker, wake up, here's the sentence, right? The infinite greatness of God is an immeasurable comfort to God's people. The infinite greatness of God is an immeasurable comfort to God's people. Now, Isaiah is gonna explain this and unpack this in three ways, all right? Point number one, take comfort, Christian, because your infinite God is beyond all measure of size, all right? Take comfort, Christian, because your infinite God is beyond all measure of size. Now, when we think about large uh, things, sometimes we, we, we say things like, you know, that was, a, that, was a, that was a really big car we just passed on the road, or that's a long train or whatever. We start thinking in, in earthly senses. But now I read this the other day and I thought this was useful. This gives us scope to talk about God's infinitude, right? Um, anybody know the speed of light? Three times 10 to the eighth meter per second. Okay. That's right. We have, we have verification up here from Honey. There we go. All right. 186,000 miles per second, right? Now, I want you to just fathom for a minute how big a light year is, right? You all know this, but just think about it. We don't often ponder how big a light year is, right? A light year is how far light travels in what? A year, all right? So multiply in your head 186,000 times 60, you have a light minute, right? Multiply that figure times 60 and you have a light hour. Multiply that figure by 24 and you have a what? A light day. Multiply that by 365, you have a light 
year. You tracking with me? All right. If light moves at 186,000 miles per second, it can travel 6 trillion miles in a year. 6 trillion miles. That's six with 12 zeros. All right. That's the equivalent of 12 million round trips from Earth to the moon. All right. Now, the Hubble Space Telescope, now I know they didn't retire. Sad. Hubble, Hubble finally retired, but they have a new one. But now Hubble Space Telescope, I think it's like Webb or something. The Hubble Space Telescope, it gave us pictures of a galaxy that is 13 billion light years from Earth. Just think about that for a minute. That's, this galaxy is 78 sextillion miles from our planet. That's 78 followed by 21 zeros, all right? Now, I'm just, I'm giving you this so that you just have categories that are very large as we start talking about God's infinitude, okay? So let's jump back into Isaiah. I want you to just go back in. First one, take comfort in your God because he's, he's beyond all measure of size, even light years, all right? Look at verse 12 again. There's, I want you to notice two things. Look at verse 12. So don't look at me, look at your Bibles. Isaiah has all creation in view, Okay. You notice in verse 12, he refers to, in verse 12, the waters. He refers to the heavens. Oh, he refers to the earth and the mountains and the hills. Do you see that? Not if you see that, all right? So in other words, Isaiah has all of creation in view when he's talking here, all right? The heavens and the earth, the sea, the dry land, everything in it. He has something really large in view. The second thing I want you to notice is Isaiah contrasts this large canvas of all creation with relatively small things that we use to measure. I'll show you. Look at all four of these. First, Isaiah mentions the hollow of the hand. Do you see that? The hollow of the hand. Right there in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now, I want you to hold out your hand. Hold it out. Hold, no, don't be ashamed. Just hold it up, right? Hold it up. Hold it out. Now look at it for a minute. How, can, how much can you carry in your hand? Not a lot. Maybe you've ever been thirsty and you're, you're near some water. You scoop up some water with, that, with your hand. You drink out of it. You get a little sip, right? You can't get very much. But notice what Isaiah says God can do with his hand. Isaiah says he, God can fit something in his hand. It's what? What does he say? He says the waters, plural. Do you see that? The waters, He's thinking of all of the oceans, all of the seas on earth. He can put all of those in the palm of his hand. The Pacific, the Atlantic, the Indian, the Southern Oceans, the Arctic Oceans, the seas, everything on earth, God can fit into the hollow of his hand. 352 quintillion gallons of water, no problem for God's hand. All of it fits. He's got plenty of room to spare. That's the first little measurement, the hollow of a hand. Look at the next one. Isaiah, in the ESV, it says a span. Do you see that? A span. If you read in a different translation, it may say something like a handbreadth. It's just this, this far, all right? It's the distance from your thumb right here to your pinky. Now, anybody know who Kawhi Leonard is? Now, I love the NBA. I'm a hoops junkie. Kawhi Leonard's got big hands, right? Like, they measured his hand. It's 11 and a half inches from thumb to here. His handbreadth is 11 and a half inches. That's big. That's big. I, I can barely palm a basketball. He has no problem palming a basketball, all right? Um, but here's the thing. Even if you don't have Kawhi Leonard's hands, 
even if you did have Kawhi Leonard's hands, you don't go around measuring stuff with your hand, do you? I mean, if, if some, I, I was walking here down from the cabin, you know, you know, Jeremy didn't say, hey, Nick, from the cabin down to the meeting place, it's 3,000 hand breaths. That's not, he didn't say that, right? We don't use it to measure anything. But what about God? Look at what he says. What has God done with his hand? Isaiah says that God has marked off the heavens with a span. The God who made the heavens and the earth looks upon his handiwork and he measures the whole universe in hand breadths from beginning to end. He looks at all of the cosmos and he says, yep, looks about like three hand breadths. That's what Isaiah is saying. It was my hands, God says, that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their starry host. Psalm 45, 12. David says in Psalm 8 that the heavens are the work of his fingers. Third thing he says about God is beyond all measure of size. Look what he says there. He says, Isaiah mentions thirdly, a measure. Do you see that? He says a measure. So if you look right there, verse 12, it says, he enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. Now, if you're reading the NIV, it says a basket, a basket. Um, when I go to get groceries at Walmart, I never, ever, ever like pushing one of the buggies, the strollers. I have this spiritual gift of choosing the stroller, or the, or the stroller, not a stroller, a buggy. I have the universal gift of, of picking one of those buggies that has a wheel that screeches louder than like a, like a raptor. And, and, you know, you could like dogs start howling because the high pitch squeal from the wheel. You know what I'm talking about? Go with me. So what I do, this is what I always do. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to get a, one of those like big baskets. I'm going to just get well, a small handheld basket. I'm like, I, I'm only going to get a few items. And then by the end of my shopping run, I've got a 45 ton basket of, of groceries that I'm carrying around. I'm like, I mean, I'm like working out like in the, in the, in the grocery store, right? Because, you know, I start putting stuff in the basket, right? Now, how much can you fit in a small basket? Not a lot. That, that's what the word he's using. It's, a, it's just a measure. It's just a, a small basket. But what can God put in his basket? Isaiah says he can enclose the dust of the earth in his basket. In a single measure, every particle dust of, from every desert, the Gobi, the Arabian, and all the rest, he can put it in his, in his measure, in his basket. Last one. You notice the last thing he says in verse 12, there's a, one last little measure. There's a, a, measure, a, a reference to scales and a balance. Do you see that? Now, my daughter, Emmeline, and I, we love, she actually loves cooking. And so one of the things that we do at night, um, I, when I'm tucking her in, before I pray for her, kiss her, tell her that I love her, she likes to watch this one chef who is a, a, he's a, has videos on YouTube. So we will watch this chef make certain recipes that she wants to make later and we do that kind of thing right it's really fun well the the chef she loves watching has all this really great cooking equipment and one of the things that this guy has is this digital scale that he puts stuff on he measures it and it's down to i mean he's he's looking at like you know pushing off stuff like flour off the thing he wants exact measurements in his scale right but look, look what look what god measures in his scale what does he put in his scale Notice it says, he weighs every mountain and every hill. Do you see that? It says he weighed the mountains in his scale. Again, 
small thing for us, but for God, he's putting the Andes and the Alps and the Himalayas in his scale and he has room to spare. So what's the point of all this? The point of all this is all of these things are massively larger than us, right? But they're small to him because he's the infinite God. He's beyond all measure. And what Isaiah is helping us to see is that our thoughts of God are far too small. Your thoughts of God are far too small. So are mine. So when you think about God as revealed in his word, do you think of him as a kind of supersized version of you? Do you think of God as some kind of like Marvel hero that's just got some superpowers, but he's kind of like us. He just has more, more power than we do. That's not what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying you cannot find the limits of this God because they don't exist. There's none like him. And for the Christian, for those who are trusting in this God, Isaiah wants you to see that this is your God. Behold your God. You should be comforted that this God is on your side in Christ. So that's the first thing. Take comfort because your God Your infinite God is beyond all measure of size. Second one, take comfort, Christian, because your infinite God is beyond all measure of knowledge. He's beyond all measure of knowledge. Look at verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord and or what man shows him his counsel? So we've transitioned now from the carpentry imagery and the kitchen imagery of verse 12. Now in verse 13, Isaiah is using imagery of the classroom, teaching imagery, okay? Anybody here wanna be a teacher? One person, okay. That's why he knows the speed of light. Let's give it up, speed of light, amen. All right, let's keep going. What's your name? Brandon. What was it, Brandon? Brandon, Brandon, nice to meet you, Brandon. So what, what Isaiah is teaching us in verse 13 is that God has no limits. His knowledge is beyond all measure. Now, I've had several jobs throughout my life. I worked for IBM for many years, uh, building computers. Before that, I had a ton of jobs in college where I was, in the summertime, I would just get three or four jobs. One time, I was a cameraman at a, uh, at a local TV station, all right? And, and so it was great. It was a lot of fun for one summer, and I didn't do it anymore. But the summer I was there, I got to know a guy at the local TV station named Jerry, all right? Um, He was a video tech named Jerry. He had been homeless. He'd been addicted to drugs and living on the streets. And he went to a shelter where he heard the gospel. God saved him. He he was able to, to, to break those addictions by God's grace. And he got this job as a, like overnight working, doing video production after he was trained at this TV station. He, was a great, he had a great story. We, we got it along really great. And, and, and one night, I, we were sitting there between the 6 o'clock and 11 o'clock broadcasts of the news. We didn't have nothing to do. And I started talking to Jerry. And meanwhile, Jeopardy comes on. Anybody know, you know Jeopardy? Y'all watch Jeopardy? All right. So Jeopardy comes on. And to my shock... Jerry, like, knew every answer to the question. Like, everything that came up, Jerry knew it. So, I mean, world capitals, Broadway plays, English literature, astronomy, 
economics, words that begin with the letter S, it didn't matter what it was. Jerry was like crushing it. And I'm sitting there thinking like, I'm such a moron. I haven't gotten a single one yet and, and Jerry's getting all of them. And so I said to Jerry, I mean, he, he hit like 25 in a row. And I was like, Jerry, what's going on, man? Like, are you some kind of genius? Are you like the president of Mensa? What, what is this, right? And he, looked, he looks you right in the eyes and he goes, looks like I know more than you, college boy. <laughs> and then he smiled. He was like, actually, I watched this episode yesterday when I was splicing in the commercials. So there you go. Jerry, Jerry had a little secret. He'd already seen the show. Here's my point. It turns out Jerry did not have unlimited knowledge, right? He, he actually cheated. He just saw it before, right? But here's the point. God is not like Jerry. God knows everything. He's beyond all measure of the way we measure knowledge. Look again at verse 13. Who has measured, there's that word again, the spirit of the Lord. Your Bible may say something like, who, who comprehends the mind of the Lord? That's the point. And the, the question Isaiah is asking is, who's fathom, who's plumbed the depths of God's spirit or God's, or God's mind? And of course, the answer is, nobody has. Nobody has. He goes on to say, what man shows him counsel? Let me ask you this. Has God ever called you and asked you for your advice? Have you, has he ever reached out to you and said, I'm struggling with this. I need you to educate me on something. No, God's never done that. He's never texted you and asked you for directions because he was lost. God doesn't, God doesn't need any outside knowledge because he has all knowledge in himself. Verse 14, so again, don't look at me, look at your Bibles. Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? These are all rhetorical questions that the answer is no one did. No one's given God any knowledge. No one's ever fathomed God's mind. In fact, you should recognize this verse because Paul quotes this later in Romans 11, remember? Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways and his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has ever been his counselor, right? Again, the answer is nobody has. Nobody has. So Christian, what's the point here? Be comforted tonight that your God is not like you. He's not like you. Be comforted that he's not like you. God doesn't need to cheat to know the answers. God has never raised his hand in class to ask for help. He has never been unsure. He's never been stuck. He's never been stumped. God's never had to YouTube a project to figure out how to do it. He's never been clueless about anything. Now, I realize I'm looking at a group. You all just look smart. You look very intelligent, right? But listen, there is an infinite gulf between your puny and finite minds and God's mind. It, it, it's, it's beyond all measure. We can't even measure how far his mind is from ours. That's what Isaiah is saying. Great is the Lord and abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 147 verse five. Now, what does this mean practically? Here's what it means. You are not even an expert on you. You are not an expert even on yourself. 
I used to serve in a church in Northern Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C. Many of the members of our church were subject matter experts in whatever field they were part of. The, 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 the director of the Secret Service was a member of our church. He was a former Top Gun pilot, and he ran the Top Gun program, and he was a two-star general. He had all of these accolades. He's a subject matter expert. But listen, we aren't even subject matter experts on ourselves. God knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows your thoughts from afar. He is acquainted with all of your ways. Before a word is on your tongue, he knows it completely. Psalm 139. Now, I've read lots of books written by lots of brilliant theologians, but none of them, none of them are subject matter experts on God. I'm a pastor. I am not a subject matter expert on God. Only the Spirit of God can search the deep things of God. One dead guy that you should know if you want to study the attributes is a guy named Stephen Charnock. Or if you want to name, if you have like a, a really aggressive dog and you want a good name, name him Charnock. That's just a good name, Charnock. This is what he said about God in 1681. Say this, whatsoever God is, he is infinitely so. Whatever God is, he is infinitely so. He is infinite wisdom, infinite goodness, infinite knowledge, infinite power, infinite grace. And then he said this, when you have risen to the highest, then conceive of him as yet infinitely above all that you can conceive of him. Then it's the last sentence. Whatever conception comes into your mind when you consider God, Say to yourself, this is not God. God is more than this. That's what Isaiah is getting at. Your God is limitless in knowledge because he's beyond all measure of knowledge because he's infinite. And you need to take comfort in this. If you know this God, take comfort in this. Last one and then we'll be done. Third thing, verses 16 to 19. Isaiah wants you to take comfort that your God is beyond all measure of worship. Your God is beyond all measure of worship. He makes another transition in verse 16. He goes from, from, from the imagery of the classroom and now we have the imagery and the language of worship and sacrifice, okay? He wants us to see that God is beyond all measure of worship. No matter how much you worship him, no much how much you sincerely worship him, he's still greater than all of our worship. Look at verse 16. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Now, some of you perhaps have been to Lebanon. Some of you have only read about it. What, What do you know about Lebanon from the Bible? What, 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 what is in Lebanon? Cedars, right? We know there's cedars, right? It's the, it's the place for, where you get lumber in Scripture, right? Um, so when Solomon, when King Solomon decided to build the temple and he needed wood, he didn't go to Home Depot, right? He didn't go to Lowe's. He went and got cedars from Lebanon, 1 Kings chapter 5. But Isaiah is saying this, Isaiah is saying this, even, listen, Even if you chop down every single cedar in Lebanon and and you built a giant altar to the Lord 
And then you sacrificed every beast in Lebanon and you made a massive burnt offering to God. Even that would not suffice. Even that would not be enough. Even that level of worship is not enough. And then he goes even further. Look at verse 17. It's not just Lebanon. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Christian, what's the point? Here's the point. Do not ever make the mistake of whittling this incomparable God down to the size of your worship. Sometimes when you gather for public worship and you just don't feel like worshiping, it's not because God's not deserving of your worship. He's beyond all measure of our worship. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? Verse 19, an idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. Gold and silver may be enough for idols. You can make a beautiful idol out of gold and silver, but not of the infinite God. That's what Isaiah is saying. When you whittle down God to the size of your worship, you have an idol. That's what he's saying. If you whittle down God to the size of your worship, you have an idol of your own vain imagination. And here's why. God doesn't receive, he gives. God is always the giver. Think about this. When we worship God, he is not receiving anything that he has not first given to us. He always gives. He gives life and breath and everything to you. The air in your lungs when you're singing praises to him is from him. He gives you the faith to pray to him. He's given you his word that you can know him. He has sent his son into the world to reveal him. All of your worship is something that God has first given you through his son. So brothers and sisters, what do we see this? What what else do we see in this passage? Let me just close with a few words of application. I want you to see the big idea is that God is infinite and that he deserves all worship, honor, and praise. And what I think what this passage is doing, it's calling us initially to repent, to repent. Um, I think I shared this in one of the classes we were teaching at UBC. When my son Hudson, uh, I've got two boys in high school, one uh, daughter in uh, eighth grade, she'll be in high school next year. Um, When Hudson was, was tiny, he was probably six, and I was teaching him what repentance means. And repentance is just a word that means you're going this way and you turn around and go the other way. Um, It means turning from your sin and turning towards God. And we were at a a traffic light uh, turning left and there was a a white truck in front of us. And the truck turned left and then made a U-turn and started going that way. And Hudson said, Daddy, look, the truck is repenting, right? It's repenting. It's going this way and it turned around and went back this way. It was repenting. And this passage is calling us to turn. And the way we're, we're, we're supposed to turn is to turn away from these vain, small, little thoughts about God. That's why Isaiah 40 is in our Bible. And so we need to respond at least in three ways. Here's the first way to respond in repentance. Number one, embrace your finite limits. Embrace 
your finite limits. Even though there are attributes of God that are incommunicable, that is attributes that only he has. You are finite and we are, or, or you are finite and he is infinite. Even though there's attributes that he has that he doesn't share, we act like he does. What do I mean by that? We act like those incommunicable attributes are true of us. Here's how. We're finite, but we, we actually live like we're infinite. Do you ever rush around trying to meet all the expectations of those who surround you? Do you ever scan a, a to-do list that's just bottomless? And you think to yourself, this is what you think. You think, if I only had more time, if I only had more money, if I only had more energy, then I could get everything done. And then everyone else around me, I could make them happy. And maybe, just maybe, I'd finally be happy too. You ever had those thoughts? And what you're saying, what you're saying when you feel that and when you say that and when you live that way, this is what you're saying. You're saying, if only I was, an, I was infinite. If only I was the infinite creator and not a finite creature. That's what you're saying. And brothers and sisters, listen, that is the oldest temptation in the world. Surely you shall be like God, the serpent said. We're not. He's the creator and we're the creature. And listen to me, Christian. Your finitude is not a sin. Your finitude is not a sin. It's a loving reminder from a good and gracious God that you're not him. You're his. You belong to him, but you're not him. So stop asking God to forgive you for being unable to do everything. <laughs> you don't, stop acting like you can do everything. Embrace your finite limits. Ask God to forgive you for ever imagining you could do everything. God, the infinite creator, has put finite limits on his creatures to teach us to fear him and to remind us that we are not God. So don't despise your limits. Embrace your limits. I'm going to get very practical here. Here's, the, here's, here. here's how I know that you think you're infinite and that you're, uh, that, you're, that you're stealing or acting like you have those incommunicable attributes. Number one, we heard earlier, you're not omnipotent. You're, you think you're omnipotent because most of you are in college, some of you are in grad school. You think you're omnipotent, but you're not. So go take a nap. <laughs> Go to bed and get a good night's sleep. You're not omnipresent. So turn off your phone and actually wherever you are, be there and not try to be in 10,000 different places at once. Be present. You're not omnipresent. You're not omniscient. So relax. <laughs> relax. Don't worry about tomorrow. Ask God for wisdom for today. You're not eternal. You're not eternal. So make sure you're ready to die and enter into eternity. You're not immutable. That is, you're not unchangeable. God is, but you're not. 
He can certainly change you. Don't ever say to yourself, I can't change. You can change. By His grace, you can change. Embrace your creaturely limits. Number two, that was the first one. Number two, embrace your infinite Lord. Embrace your infinite Lord. Embrace your finite limits. Number two, embrace your infinite Lord. We have all sinned against the God Isaiah describes in this chapter. That's frightening. The God who holds the heavens and the earth in the palm of his hand, we have turned our backs and we have spit at him and we have done whatever we wanted to do instead of what he calls us to be and to do in his word. The one who gives to us life and breath and everything. And we have absolutely failed to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've not done that. We've not given him the worship that he deserves. And the Bible tells us that if God would count our iniquities, none of us could stand. None of us could stand before him. If you, if you, even if you don't believe in God or you don't believe in this God, you have standards and you haven't even lived up to your own standards. So if there is a God who is real, who is holy, who has standards, then none of us have lived up to them. And it's just honest to say that. We've all offended this God. And Isaiah says in a few chapters from here, he says that your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And the Bible is really clear. It says that the wages of our sin, what we earn from our sin, the Bible says is death, is death. That's what we deserve and that's what we earn. Every sinner who sins against this infinite, holy, good, and righteous God is deserving of an eternity of just and right condemnation and wrath. That's what we deserve. But the God that we read about in Isaiah 40 is a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's the God who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. And he is the God who dwells among us by his spirit through his son. And this is what's amazing. As we keep reading in the gospel, uh, in the gospels in the New Testament, what we find is this. The infinite God became an infant. The infinite God became an infant. The infinite God joined himself to finite man in the womb of a virgin. The word of the father by whom all time was created was made flesh and born in time for us. And for us and for our salvation, he came down into the world that he had made in order to save sinners, those who've rebelled against him. And the maker of man became a man. And the one who is life itself, who's the author of life, came into this world in order to die. He died in our place for our sins on the cross. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. And Isaiah is going to describe it like this. Thousands of years, right? This is what he said about this one who was coming to die. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon, the chast upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the cross of Christ, our infinite God displays all of his infinite attributes. In the cross, you look at the cross and what do you see? You see a holy wrath at sin and a holy love towards sinners. A love that cannot be measured. And so brothers and sisters, this is good news for us. The blessed hands that were pierced for your transgressions are the hands of the risen Lord who holds the scepter of the universe. He lives, he rules, he reigns, and he invites any sinner anywhere to turn from their sins and to trust in him, to receive him in the empty hands of faith. That's what Isaiah is calling us to do. And so the question you need to ask yourself tonight is, are you resting in him? Have you received him by faith alone? Have you trusted in this risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Thirdly and finally, we'll be done. Pastors say we'll be done and you think, yeah, you said that five minutes ago. We're almost done, really. Third one, exult in your infinite Lord. Exult in your infinite Lord. Christian, exult in this God described in Isaiah 40. In Christ, this is amazing. In Christ, all of God's infinite attributes are on your side. They weren't before you were trusting in Jesus. They are now. All of his infinite attributes are on your side. And he delights in you tonight. The Lord takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his steadfast love. Because you belong to Christ, he will satisfy you in his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forever at his right hand. And we will never, even after a million years in eternity, we will never cease to worship and magnify and be satisfied with the Lord. Why? Why is that? Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly father, we do pray that you give us wisdom and insight into your word. Lord, we pray that you grant us repentance, those areas of our lives that we need to give over to you. We pray that you would work by your spirit in and through us this weekend. Help us to delight in Christ. Help us to know him, to know the power of his resurrection. Help us to trust him, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.